Episode 71 is here, everybody, and I was joined by Dr. Roy Buschinski, longtime family doctor of mine, longtime family friend, uh, specialist at University Hospitals here in Cleveland, and he just dropped a ton of knowledge, a ton of information. Uh, we get into a bunch of different things in the medical field, and then we get into a long discussion about his words of wisdom, five F's and five S's, five F's as in Frank, five S's as in Sam, and uh, these are the five, or I guess 10 total things that you need to live a balanced, healthy, qualitative life. Uh, tremendous amount of information, like I said, hour and 15 minute episode, and uh, I need to listen to this thing a few times because it really was uh, extremely informative and if you could take some things away, it will definitely help you better yourself, better your life, and have a better perspective of a lot of different things in the health and wellness field. So with that said, please sit back, relax, and as always, welcome the one and only Dr. Roy Buschinski. The Optimal Life. How are you tonight? I welcome think, to the show. Welcome. Thank you. It's such an honor to be here with you on show number 71, I believe. That is correct. Thank you for inviting me here tonight on this Beautiful Sunday evening. You notice it's getting darker a little bit later out now, I know, which I just, love. It's so amazing. People are starting to have a smile now in the mornings when they're coming to work because it's lighter now. Same thing when going home from work. It's still a little light when you go home from work. So I think spring is in the air and spring certainly is something that we all spring is in the air. <laughs> spring is in the air. Spring We've got like air. three or four more months of winter. Well, spring is <laughs> as long as we get the days are longer, as the sunshine is longer, we'll 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 take it. Uh, you know what? The worst days are in December when it's you got you wake up and you've got literally like eight hours of, of daylight. That's it. Those are the absolute worst. It's gray, absolute it's worst. cold, it's dark and the seasonal affective disorder, which is a condition that occurs in some people where they truly have a dysthymia or a depression because of the lack of sunlight, is real. Mm -hmm. And it's quite amazing how people are every year come November, December, January, they go into a bit of a funk and a bit of a decline. Um, and then come spring and come sunshine, all of a sudden their smiles are out, their moods are elevated, and they're sort of back in their normal normal sink so it's really a a wonderful opportunity now that we are the days are longer for people to really start getting out there and start exercising and not being able to use any excuse that it's either dark <laughs> or whatever although it's still rather cold but as somebody once told me there's no such thing as bad weather there's only something called bad clothing Meaning, is that right? Meaning you've got to dress for the occasion. <laughs> you can't go outside in shorts and a t-shirt when the temperature is as frigid as it is. I'll ask that person what they think on Wednesday. If they're here in Cleveland, you see the high on Wednesday is going to be zero degrees. I saw that. Oh, God, that is brutal. I, 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 the, the daylight thing, really, I noticed it more this year than I ever have because as we were just talking before the, the we went on, I was going through this the, the divorce and right at a time where the leaves are falling and the days are starting to shorten and all of a sudden I've got this new transition in life that I'm trying to get used to and I've got work and all these responsibilities and like I was saying you wake up it's pitch black I'm in the house by myself now right all at once and then I come home from work and it's pitch black and then I'm going and, and, and 
after 12 years of being with somebody and eight plus years of always having at least one of my kids since since I had my first kid in the house I mean talk about the perfect storm no pun intended I mean you're right it's uh, <laughs> it's certainly a, a combination of many different things and then you throw winter on top of that but I must say being down here in your man cave and uh, being in the studio over here I must tell you, this is a phenomenal setup you've got here, Randy. Thank uh, you, thank you. This should definitely bring you a lot of uh, a lot of encouragement. It's a good distraction. It's for a sure. great distraction, and thank you're doing a wonderful job. I've listened to some of your previous podcasts, and I know that this is something that you are that is near and dear to you, and you really enjoy doing. And it's great to be a part of your program. I'm thrilled and honored to have you here. You're one of my favorite humans on on the planet. You and Rabbi Zushi. I mean, this is like well, I appreciate it. I think uh, you know. Our family connections go back many, many years, first as, as, as patients and then as friends. And, um, you know, there's very, there's some people in life that you bond with, and then there are people that you just have a close connection and a real true bond. And, you know, when it's right, it's, it's easy. It's an easy relationship and it's, there's nothing forced. It's natural. And that's the way I've always felt with you and the family. And, um, you know, I think Thank you. that's Likewise. what makes it so easy for me to be able to converse with you and to interact with the whole family. Um, and when you asked me to appear on your show at one of the um, shul uh, <laughs> uh, uh, programs a couple of weeks ago, of course, I jumped at the opportunity, realizing that this is the number one podcast show in the uh, country right now. <laughs> that's great. That is great. Or soon to be, anyways. <laughs> one day after after tonight, potentially after they hear you, this this is I what mean, they this, need. This is what we needed. I mean, this you is never know. What we needed. You know, this could go viral, and uh, you and I could be a sensation. Oh uh, well, we absolutely should. We, you know what? We already are sensations. You know what? To you're somebody, so right. To you're somebody. So, <laughs> you're so right. <laughs> no, thank you for the compliment about the podcast. It, it, it's something that I always wanted to get into, and something that. For me, I look at it as a service. Yeah, it's a way for me to give back to whoever wants to listen, to improve themselves, to better themselves. Uh, I try to take away different lessons from different guests, whether it's medical or health or wellness or business or fitness, anything really. And uh, when people come up to me and they say, hey, I love, I listened to this episode and I really took away this or I love this episode. That just reminds me why I started doing it in the first place. It is such a rewarding feeling. Well, what I love about it is, and what I love about you is, is it's just so real. I mean, there's nothing contrived. It's uh, it's you are who you are. You're you're, you're natural. And um, the guests that I've listened to have been most informative. And as you said a few minutes ago, you can learn from everybody. And uh, it's sort of kind of my take in life is that you know the more you speak to people, the more you learn about diversity you more learn about it you become more educated and you learn that there's so much out there that we that we need to learn from each other mm -hmm. and you do it every day i mean every day I'm, I'm hearing from people from patients stories about their upbringing stories about their lives with how they got there never mind the medical part this is just on the social piece mm -hmm. and then of course you hear about the medical part which i'm sure you and i will get into in a few minutes but it's just it's phenomenal the backgrounds that people have and, and what we may take for granted, uh, you realize that people have all got, everyone's got a story. Mm -hmm. and, no doubt about it. And that story, whether it's been told or not being told, everyone's got something that, 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 that we can learn from and a lesson that, we, that they can teach us. 
in terms of our day to day. One hundred percent. That's that's the way I feel about this podcast. I listen to other people's podcasts, some some high profile people that are out there, and they're great. And what I love about them is they're entertaining, but but they have they're missing something because what they all bring on like these other high profile people, right? So you've got celebrity type people constantly on all these different real high level, uh, highly rated podcasts, which again are entertaining. But like you said, everybody has a story. Why can't you know, Doctor John come on and share to you something or? Billy from down the street who works a nine to five who doesn't seem like he's got anything going on and yet you open up that Pandora's box and he's got he's got life lessons galore. You're so right. And I think, you know, part of the social media um times that we're living in is all about the the hits and all about the big names that you can get on your particular uh, media medium whether it's Instagram or podcasting or, or Twitter tw uh, Twitter and I think what you're doing is yeah you're bringing in people that are well known in some regards but in other regards you're bringing in people that are that are just other you know just someone that you may know that's got a, a unique interest in something or a unique skill in something but may not be a household name to everybody certainly within Cleveland and and, and certainly across the country so I love the concept what you're doing and, and as I expand my um, my own interest in medicine and, and obviously seeing patients is still my number one interest but I love the ability to be able to give public talks and to be available for this kind of a presentation although I will tell you this is my first podcast that I've ever done. You're extremely natural. I'm kind of enjoying it. It's, and you'll see it goes by like this. I mean... 45 minutes, 60 minutes, it'll be a blink. You won't, it, it just, it's natural. When you have a good rapport with somebody and you have a nice conversation, that's all this is. This wow. is a conversation between two people who are just talking about life and learning from each other. At least that's what I'm doing with you. Like, I want to hear what's going on in medicine. I want to hear what's going on in your world, and that's it. I almost wish that I could have this kind of a medium for, for, my patients when they're coming uh, in, so that they, maybe would, you should, so that they would knows? be able to sort of open up uh, without any pressure whatsoever. Live with Doctor B, right? Wow, why not? Live with Doctor B, or what I like to call is Wow with Doctor B. Wow, Words of wellness, Words of wellness, which we'll get into. You, you know, I have to tell you, and you probably don't remember. I mean, I'm sure you've used this line before, but you said something to me. I was going to start with this actually. You said something to me. When I came to you, I'm going back now. Now I'm going back to my much more promiscuous days. These were pre-marriage days. <laughs> that stuck with me forever. And I'll still remember this quote you said to me. It's a zoo out there. <laughs> you remember this? I, I, <laughs> and, I, uh, yeah. I do remember using that line um, on you and many other people as <laughs> and well. other people, of course. And, and it just was one of those lines that just stuck with me because and again we're talking about getting uh, tested for STDs and things that you do especially when you're in college and you you know you come into the doctor's office like all right yeah we probably should we should probably get tested and the one thing you said to me and thank god everything was clean and fine <laughs> the one thing you said to me was it's a zoo out there and that really resonated yeah i mean i think when we're 18 or 19 or even 20 and 21, we, we sort of think that we are infallible and that we can do whatever we want without any consequences and repercussions. And my job as a physician is to really try and teach, but also to tr in a non-paternalistic way, 
help my um, patients, whether they're 21-year-olds or 65-year-olds, to realize what some of the dangers and what some of the issues are out there. And when you've been in practice and you start seeing uh, either sexually transmitted infections or any other kinds of illnesses, the, the responsibility on me is to at least provide that those recommendations and provide what you need uh, to know going forward. So I still use that same line, it's a zoo out there, because men and women need to know that, yeah, you can have fun and that's great, but you also need to be understanding that there are consequences to your actions and that you need to really be careful, whether it's drinking excessively, whether it's being sexually um, uh, uh, promiscuous, etc. One needs to know that there are precautions. And the two things you don't want to do in life is either get locked up or locked up. So, you know, you, you want to make sure that as a as a person, you are being responsible and doing the right thing. When you say knocked up, you're saying with, with of course, like a, a random night or... Exactly. Right, right, right. And, 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 and you know, certainly if you're, if you're with someone, you just need to understand that there are consequences to all our actions. And I think as we get older, you know, and you become a father and you realize that you have your own children, you realize that our job is to educate not just our own kids, but in my case, educate my patients mm. that they need to ultimately take responsibility because at the end of the day, it falls back on you. And it's got to be, and you've seen it all, have you not? I mean, you see everything. You've and, seen it all. You know, in, in practice, you uh, you see a range. My practice is, 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 is wonderful in the sense that I have people in college and then I have a, a, a patient who's 101 years old and then I have something in between. So even in your own family, um, you know, the, the, the range is 101 down to um, early 30s, maybe. Yeah, 30s. So mm -hmm. you can see how that whole family connection extends and, and how diverse our clinic and how diverse our patient presentations are because you need to obviously look at each age group and decide what is important for this particular individual. But, but for example, when somebody comes back with a positive test on whatever the STD may be, right, and you see this, how as a doctor, how as a medical doctor, do you handle something like, like that, something so traumatic and severe? Yeah, it's something that we as providers need to understand that it's it's um, it's our responsibility to educate patients. It's also our responsibility not to be judgmental and to treat the individuals, let them know what the complications could be. They obviously have to notify their partners as well. And this is something that, you know, unfortunately it, it's rampant out there. And whether it's things like HIV or syphilis or gonorrhea or chlamydia, all these conditions are, are, are rampant and are out there and we as providers need to again educate treat be non-judgmental but hopefully the individual can learn from that experience mm, that's got to be so crazy that's got to be such a, a scary thing and it's and it's it's happening correct me if I'm wrong is it's happening still all the time right with yeah. all the different treatments out there it's still happening all the time absolutely and, and again you know we are as providers realize that there's going to be individuals out there that are that are are going to be repeat customers and come back for something similar. Um, my job as a wellness provider is to try and get to the bottom line and to let people know that 
these kinds of problems are possibly going to not just affect the quantity of your lifespan, um, but also obviously your quality of your lifespan. So if it's a male, there certainly can be long-term complications to recurrent infections, and certainly for females as well. And this is not a, um, this is not a, um, uh, infections are not sexist. They infect both men and ladies at equal rates, and we need to be aware. Fortunately, these days, we've now got some vaccinations from HPV vaccinations, Gardasil for ladies and for men, that are that are reducing some of the HPV transmission rates. That's that, human papilloma virus. Thank you, human papilloma virus, mm -hmm. and which is a risk factor for cervical cancer in ladies. So by now having the vaccine, we're able to reduce the incidence of cervical cancer. Our biggest problem now is to get people to actually get the HPV um, when they're supposed to be getting it, which has just recently been changed by the uh, CDC, so that now it's actually much later. It was up to 26 and has now been pushed into the 40s. Is there a cure for HIV? Because I feel like it's, or is there something now that's much different than it was 20, 30 years ago? You know, that's amazing because when you think of HIV 30 years ago when it first came out and we remember, um, obviously, um, when uh, Magic, Magic Johnson yeah. was, was first uh, diagnosed, back in, the, in those days, there truly was no cure for HIV. Um, what's happened over the years is that the incidence of, of death has completely declined with the medications that are out there right now. So although they, patients are not necessarily cured, they are certainly leading a totally normal lifespan that are now going into their 70s. That's so unbelievable. It's phenomenal. You don't change. hear about it anymore. I mean, I know it's there. You just don't hear about it anymore. It's it's definitely out there. And um, the reason we don't hear about it is because, because as you correctly said, that the, the death rates have fallen. And fortunately, um, the medications that we've come up with have drastically improved the quality of life for individuals that are infected. Um, Incredible. And it's just, again, a... a a sign of how technology and research and development have been able to enhance the life of these people from a quantity standpoint first and foremost to a quality. I remember when I was a resident at Mount Sinai in the 90s and back then there was absolutely no cure, there was no um, no way of, of, of really prolonging one's lifestyle. Uh, At that time, or, or sorry, life um, span uh, people were being diagnosed with opportunistic infections like pneumocystis pneumonia, and they were getting diarrhea infections, and people were dying young in the 90s. Remember, this really only came out about in the 1985 period. Mm. So we have made tremendous progress, just as we're having cancer over the last I was going to say, that's not the only place, right? HIV, the, uh, the last 30 years. And now the biggest scourge in our, in our society is Alzheimer's dementia. So we are now really? with Alzheimer's kind of where we were with AIDS 30 years ago. And that is, we don't have anything to prevent it other than lifestyle. And we certainly don't have anything to cure it and to treat it. No kidding. I would have never guessed that. I would have thought you were going to say cancer of some sort. The, if you look at the uh, incidence of, 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 of death over the last uh, 10 years or so, uh, everything has gone down. Heart disease, deaths have gone down. Cancer have gone down. Um, all the biggies have gone down except one thing, and that's Alzheimer's dementia. And why is that? Well, I think it's twofold. One is we are getting older as a, as a society. So, you know, when we're born today, our average lifespan is 79. But again, I think the biggest part of it is that 
we are just not all the trials and we've done over thousand of credible trials with Alzheimer's dementia nothing has been able to solve the issue of deterioration from a standpoint of of, of prevention but also of cure we've got some medica medications that we use for helping with the symptoms per se but nothing that actually reverses the disease so once the symptoms begin we can start going to preventative mode is what we're saying you start giving them the treatment that whatever they have but it's not going to stop it can't reverse it is what you're saying exactly so right now the only thing that we have is prevention and by prevention i mean lifestyle prevention um, about 70 percent of alzheimer's is 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 unfortunately cannot be controlled in terms of lifestyle about 30 percent is reversible so take something like hearing we now know that hearing loss and not not treating that hearing loss with hearing aids, we now know that that is a risk factor for Alzheimer's dementia. The typical things are that we know about smoking, excess alcohol, high blood pressure, obesity, and then interestingly enough, lower education is also associated with Alzheimer's dementia. Wow. So wow. all these things wow. are obviously risk factors for Alzheimer's, but at the end of the day, the biggest risk factor is still age. And as we age, so it's said that over 65, the risk of Alzheimer's dementia doubles every five years. How many people uh, get Alzheimer's? What's the risk? So right now in the USA, about 5.7 million people have Alzheimer's dementia. Uh, it is said that every 65 seconds, one person is diagnosed with Alzheimer's dementia. And probably oh, by 2050, we'll be more likely at 15 million. And this is just people that we know of that are diagnosed. So you're looking at, you're going to say 4% by the 25th, uh, you're talking about, you know, 3, 4% of the population at that point. A, in 2015. I mean, of the United States population. Yeah, so right now about yeah. 1 in 10 people. Right now it's around. Well, if you think of like population. We're at 6 million out of 350 million, something like that. About 320 million, about 6 million, you're yeah, right. So right now we're about 2%, yeah. something, give or take. So unless something comes along and look, it came along with HIV, so you know I'm I'm hopeful. Wow! But I can tell you the the clinical trials that we've done up until now have been very frustrating in the sense that we just have not been able to come up with that sort of silver bullet to either prevent or to treat and reverse Alzheimer's. Do we dementia. know it? We we might not know how to prevent it or how to fully treat it yet. But do we know certain? You mentioned some of those factors: overweight, drinking, unhealthy lower education, et cetera, et cetera. But what exactly is happening to the brain? So that's a good question. Um, there are two hallmarks of Alzheimer's dementia. One is called amyloid, and amyloid is a protein that gets laid down in the actual, around the cells of the, of the, uh, of the brain. So think of it as, I'm trying to think of a good example. You have an environment around the cell, and that's where the amyloid gets deposited. And that's a protein. And basically what that does is think of it as like a roadblock. You're not able to transmit the messages from cell to cell because you've got all these uh, plaques of amyloid. We call them amyloid plaques that are surrounding the cell. So the message isn't able to be communicated from one cell to the next. So that's amyloid. Okay. Then there's another... They're like, they're like blocking? Kind yeah. Of? Okay. It's like a... It's like a, like a I was going to say a speed bump, but it's worse than a speed bump. It's, it's like, like a, a barrier. It's like a it's barrier. A barrier. Yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And then the second thing with Alzheimer's is something called tau, T-A-U, tangles. And the tangles actually strangle 
the nerve cells. So it's sort of almost like a, a, a band that sort of goes around your neck, let's say, and it sort of compresses the actual cells. So you've got the cells themselves being strangled or squeezed, and then you've got the actual uh, plaques that prevent the relay of the message from cell to cell. So all the research in the past has focused on the amyloid and has fo focused on the tau tangles. Okay. And the tau tangles are the, like little pieces of spaghetti and they sort of twist themselves around the cells. Uh-huh. So that's where all our research has been focused on. And the question that has arisen is, are we missing something? Is there something else going on in the Alzheimer's brain that is that is basically being that is not being addressed in other words all these tests that we've done with vaccines against amyloid and anti um and antibodies against amyloid and tau if that hasn't worked have we missed the boat and that there's something else going on that we just haven't identified wow that isn't so it's a fascinating field although it's a frustrating field sure because as we know it's becoming an epidemic and Anybody with any pa with any family member that's had Alzheimer's knows it's not just about the patient; it's about the family. So yeah. you know you get into the situation where a patient, by the way, the average lifespan of a patient with Alzheimer's once they're diagnosed is about four to eight years. Although some can go on to live as much as twenty years. But why is that? Why why does their life deteriorate because they start forgetting things? What how, what's the correlation there? Well, that's, that's a very interesting question because what happens is it's not just a matter of forgetting things. They're, they're, they, they become, they're unable to drive any longer. They're unable to get dressed any longer. They may not uh, toilet themselves normally. Um, they, they, the memory is part of it, but it's all the other pieces that make up our executive function that decrease. And ultimately, these patients don't die from Alzheimer's disease per se, but they may die from pneumonia because maybe they're not being able to move around as much. Oh. So it's complications of Alzheimer's which causes one's demise rather than the actual Alzheimer's per se. Wow. And unfortunately, you know, as we all know, living longer is great, but living longer and not having that quality of life and having all the pieces that make up that lifespan is certainly not something that we want to... Um, do we, we like obviously you want the longevity but you want the quality of life that goes with and it. I want to get into quality but real quick uh, is there a minimum age can Alzheimer's affect someone in their 40s for example yeah so that's a that question is something that right now in America if we know that we have 5.7 million people that have Alzheimer's dementia there are about 200,000 people younger than 65 that have Alzheimer's so the majority are 65 and above mm-hmm when you hit 65 and above, one in nine people will have Alzheimer's. And when you get to 85 and above, one in three people will have Alzheimer's dementia. So you can see that as you get older, that becomes the biggest risk factor for Alzheimer's dementia. But for people that are maybe potentially 50 years old and getting it, that's got to be absolutely atrocious. I mean, I mean, it's, it's, it's oh, atrocious I, at any age, but you're so right. At, a, yeah. at any younger age, we call this young Alzheimer's dementia. And, uh, and, and unfortunately, in these individuals, again, it's, it's not the majority of patients with Alzheimer's dementia. But in these individuals, it's, it's just a... Um, a, a life that's not just cut short in oh. terms of quantity, oh. but it's clearly cut short in terms of yeah, quality. Yeah, you still have you still have twenty working years ahead of you, and 
kids and family and grandkids that you're ultimately not going to be able to see because of this potentially. Absolutely, yeah. and, and not just not just are you not going to be able to see them, but those kids and 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 maybe grandkids that are going to be caring for you are going to oh, see geez. this as see this in front of their eyes as you continue to deteriorate. What a sad thing, too. So it's really a if you know. I call Alzheimer's disease today what HIV was 30 years ago and what cancer was 60 years ago when we had no cures. That's interesting. And so speaking of quality, because I know that this is this whole thing that you've gotten into, this uh, words of wellness. And tell us what this is. What is exactly? So wellness is sort of a word that gets probably overused uh, by many people because we, we the definition of wellness per se is basically optimizing life to the point that we are not just treating illnesses but we're preventing illness in the first place reversing di disease thereafter and it's also a matter of making sure that it's not just your physical peace but it's your emotional and the spiritual peace are all aligned so it's really ensuring that the physical the emotional and the spiritual health are taken care of um, so that we can ultimately prevent chronic diseases and live a long and strong life what's happened is as we've got older what we call our lifespan in America has got longer. Unfortunately, many health spans have not got longer. And what I mean by that is you can live to 90, but many people are living 20 years with chronic illnesses. So they may have heart disease, they may have cancer, they may have arthritis, um, they may have diabetes. And unfortunately, we haven't done a good job of increasing the health span um, in sync with the lifespan. So what wellness does is it looks at lifestyle and looks at strong scientific data to show that certain parts of, well, of, of, of our lifestyle truly affect not just the quantity of life, but also the quality of life and thereby reduce chronic diseases. So what exactly is this words and this thing that you have going on? So Words of Wellness is a program that um, I like to uh, use. And when I talk about wellness, and I, and I say this to my patients, whatever the age group of the wellness is, we can divide wellness up into the five F's and five S's. So we have the Ten Commandments on the one side, you've got those commandments <laughs> between man and God, there's five on that side. On the other side, you've got the commandments between man and man, five on that side. So this is my Ten Commandments of Wellness. We've got okay. the five F's, F for Friday, and the five S's, S for Saturday. Okay, which are? And what the five F's and five S's have shown, that if you can follow these and get your numbers and we can talk about the numbers afterwards in the right order and the right values you can ultimately reduce your chronic disease by about 80 percent which okay, is you get your pen and paper everybody these are pull, the, pull your notepads out this now is, this, this is, is your chance this is the take-home message tonight um and, and something that i think we all know about but i want to reinforce please so the first f is probably the easiest one is for fingers and by fingers, I mean holding a cigarette, and it means not smoking at all, whether it's an e-cigarette or not. And then the other F for fingers, still under fingers, is not drinking excessively. Okay, and so you're, you're, you're relating fingers to something that you could hold or a vice that's not good for your health. Exactly. So okay. fingers is a metaphor for, exactly, for either uh, cigarettes, because you're holding a cigarette, and obviously drinking excessively, whether it's a glass of wine or What beer. is excessively? Well, the guidelines now say that a man should not have more than two alcoholic beverages a day and no more than 14 a week. 
and they are quick to specify to 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 com uh, to say that if you have seven on Friday night, that does not that does not mean one a week. So or rather one a day. So you've got to be careful because some people say, well, I only drink on. On, on the weekend, for example. Right. And so therefore, I'm way under my 14 drinks for the week. Uh, remember, two for men and one alcoholic beverage a day for, for women. Um, but it also says that you should not go over you know, that maximum per day. So making up for it on a Saturday or Sunday doesn't sort of always doesn't put you into the normal zone. I love how they actually specify that because that was my next thing. Like, what if you just go and drink your twelve pack of beer on a Saturday? Yeah, That's your week. And people yeah. say that to me all the time. Is yeah. that okay? And of course, the answer is absolutely not. <laughs> is that okay? So that's the first F for fingers. The second F, again, not too difficult, is for feet. And feet over here is a marker for physical activity. And when we talk about physical activity, unfortunately, most of us in America are either not doing enough or not doing anything at all and I know you are huge into your uh, into your working out I know one of your uh, um, I don't want to use the word resolutions but one of your promises to yourself this year is you want to do a triathlon yes a half Ironman a half Ironman yeah. sorry and yep. I think having goals is a superb way to motivate you making sure that those goals are realistic but coming back to the second F for feet you want to make sure again from a not just from a, a point of view of reducing heart disease and diabetes and obesity. I tell patients you want to work out every day to feel good every day. Yes. So when I work out on the days that I work out, I have those endorphins, I have the dopamine, I have everything going crazy for a good few hours and I feel great. Do you work out in work. the morning before work? Yeah, so I go running about five days a week. Good for uh, you. Not far. I go about three miles most days. It's a 5K every morning. Unfortunately, as I've got older, I've got slower. But uh, I, I really believe that it's just a matter of doing it rather than being That's speedy awesome. at it. And then I try. It makes you feel it starts your whole day, right? It really it does. And on the days day. that I don't work out, I feel you it. You feel like a slug. I feel yeah, like a slug. And you're probably and not on your A game mentally. Well, I hope to. Th I'd like to think that I, I'm still able to do what I. In fact, I know I'm able to do what I want to do. But I just lack the energy that I yeah. would otherwise have. It's a different feeling, no matter what. And that's what I tell people. Yes, it's great for the long term, but more importantly, do it because of the short-term benefits. You feel good, and that rubs off on everybody that you meet for the day. Do you feel like exercise also, there's a direct correlation between exercise and, and just mental health? Uh, Absolutely. I mean, if you look at the studies that show that exercise is probably the best prescription you can give a patient for anxiety, for depression... And, you know, we spoke, and you said it earlier on, in con we, you said kind of that you've been through some difficult uh, months uh, recently. And I'm sure when you work out, you feel like a new man. It's a whole different day. It's amazing. It's ama I've always said that, too, on this podcast. I've always said the greatest drug, the greatest drug in the world is working out. There's a cardio. There's a movement now in the USA that started out at Harvard uh, by uh, uh, Eddie Phillips. That's called the exercise prescription. And it's literally doctors, when patients come into their office, they should be prescribing, giving a prescription for exercise. And the exercise 100%. should say, I want you doing 30 minutes a day, at least three days a week, at least. And by the way, don't forget, you need to do resistance uh, training as well. So we know about the aerobic piece. But you also want to get those muscles and those bones in action because as we get older, we get what's called sarcopenia, which anybody over 50 knows our muscles start to um, atrophy and become smaller. 
and mm. certainly our bones and osteoporosis can occur as well. So it's not just the aerobic piece, which is great, but it's also the resistance. And that could be weightlifting. It could be just using your own body. So for example, there's, there's an app that you can download called the seven minute workout, uh, which is a cool way of just doing your lunges and your stretches and your wall sits. And it takes literally seven minutes a day That's to unbelievable. do this. And, and yoga, I'll tell you. Yoga is wonderful. Unbelievable. Yeah. I just started this past four months ago, five months ago. Life-changing. Anyone that hasn't done it, and, and talk about a workout, the hardest workout I've ever done. If you take the right class, it's a, a hot yoga class. Is just, there's nothing like it. I remember a few, many years ago when yoga was sort of becoming quite in vogue. Uh-huh. And, I, and I hadn't done it yet, and my patients were doing it. I said, you know what, I better go see what this yoga is all about. So I took myself off to one of these classes. And I'm telling you, I had a really, really good workout there. Unfortunately, my flexibility wasn't so good back then. Um, it's a lot better now, but I truly feel if, if there's one kind of activity that covers everything from a from a mind, body, and spirit standpoint, it's yoga. 100%. And 100%. I, you know, I'm not going to give a shout out to anyone in town, but there are some phenomenal We have a lot of good ones studios. out here. We have a fantastic all over the place. And they what, are all over. And what used to be on the fringe in terms of yoga and meditation and mindfulness what was on the fringe even 10 years ago has now come into what we call our mainstream. And it is, I, it's everywhere. It's one of the first things that I recommend to my patients who are a little bit down. Again, we spoke earlier on about this time of the year with the weather and mm. the gray, etc., and the short days. To me, it's one of the best ways to get yourself out of a funk. So you've got feet and fingers. And then the third F, which is probably the most controversial one and the one that we could spend hours talking on, um, is food. Uh, of course. Because when it comes to food, everyone seems to have that magic that magic uh, bullet in terms of what is the right uh, nutritional program to follow. So we know that we've come everywhere from, we've had the Atkins, we've had the South Beach, we've now got the keto diet. Um, we've got so many different diets out there. The most recent one I saw recently on TV, because it's January, of course, in January all the new books come out promising you that theirs is the next best uh, <laughs> diet program, was called the No Diet Diet. Which no some, Diet, yeah. 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 And then the, the I one... I like that, Paleo too, which is kind of... Paleo is also... Paleo is right up one. there, yeah. yeah sort of Atkins, very similar, similar to yeah. keto. keto. But keto, the one yeah. that's really getting a lot of um, publicity now is what's called IF, Intermittent Fasting. Yes. And you may have heard about this now where people eat for eight, eight hours while the sun is up and then they fast for 16 hours. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is getting a lot of uh, research. There's a lot of scientific data coming out of California uh, by Walter Longo and his team out there that are showing how in mice, etc. Anyways, how this is enhancing longevity and reducing inflammation and reducing, ca- and reducing weight. I've done... IF, uh, not not strictly, not every single day. I've done it for the past, I'd say probably the past, again, three, probably the past three to six months on and off. And the days that I do it, when I go through an extended period of time, like three days in a row, four days in a row, maybe a week, or, I, you, you feel like, first of all, you don't have that same hunger pains or those hunger, uh, th- those urges to eat. Things don't look as good. You can look at a piece of cho- chocolate chip cookie and not even be phased by it because you don't you don't want it anymore and I feel like I also all, my energy levels I felt like once I got into a flow like a week or two the energy I felt like was was even higher th- than, I, than if I would eat something first thing in the morning I mean people that do it 
say exactly what you just said, that they, they feel not overstuffed at all, they feel good. It makes somewhat sense that you're eating now two meals a day rather than three meals a day. I think whatever the case is, whether it's intermittent fasting, I think the bottom line when you look at all these different programs is you need to limit the sugar and the processed foods. That's and, it. And in yeah. the States and probably worldwide, we have just done a bad job in terms of relying too much on processed foods and what I call non-real non food. Sugar. Sugar is the devil. Well, I will say that, again, I don't, I don't want to say that there's only one thing to blame, but certainly sugar is one of, of the three things. So there's sugar, there's um, obviously salt as well, and then the third thing is going to be either trans fats or saturated fats. Well, when you think about the, going back to the uh, dementia and Alzheimer's, and you think about all those health issues that these people had that, that maybe they were a little more susceptible to getting the disease, you could probably find a direct correlation again to sugar in all of those things, even the low socioeconomic status because those are the people, they're putting up the McDonald's and the Burger Kings in town because that's what they eat seven days a week. I mean, that's just a fact. I think it's all relates. You're, you hit the nail on the head because that is one of the things that we didn't discuss earlier on to show that shows that eating predominantly a Mediterranean diet, and of course, just to remind you, you don't have to you don't have to be living in the Mediterranean area to eat a Mediterranean diet. But for those who are who just need a little recap, basically, it's um, eating a lots of vegetables and fruits, which we know about. It's fish or, or um, uh, uh, the good fats. Um, it's also olive oil and then nuts and a little bit of alcohol in the Mediterranean area. Coming oh, nice. back to our there earlier discussion. Uh, but what it does omit, again, are the sugars and the processed foods. Right. And right. rather than looking at all these different programs that are out there and saying, oh my gosh, is paleo better than, than <laughs> keto or is keto better than right. Atkins? Look at what do these all have in common? And my mentor and guru um, out of Yale um, is a, a, a guy by the name of Dr. David Katz who's done a lot of work in the arena. And he, he subs it up by saying there are far more that these programs, I don't even want to say diets, but these nutritional programs have much more in common than they have differences. And that common piece, that common denominator is avoiding what I call the white flour products. So it's the breads, the bagels, the pastas, the pancakes, the rice. Mm. And again, it's not saying you can never have it. Right. You know, right. it's... It's, it's, it's not about depriving yourself, but it is a matter of saying, listen, if I am going to have these, these kinds of foods, I need to be accountable so that I'm not doing it on a daily basis, and I realize that this is what causes inflammation. Now, the buzzword, in the 70s and 80s, the buzzword was always cholesterol. The buzzword now is inflammation. And so what you were saying earlier on is absolutely correct, that these kinds of foods with the sugars and the processed foods what they do is they cause inflammation. And inflammation is sort of the foundation for atherosclerosis. So if you have blockage around the heart, that's going to cause coronary artery disease. If you have blockage to the brain, that's going to cause strokes or even dementia. If you have blockage to the penis, it's going to cause erectile dysfunction. Oh, we don't want that. <laughs> and so forth and so forth. So the, 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 the common denominator is to limit the sugars, to limit the processed foods and to focus more on what Michael Pollan says, real food. And he uses this, um, this saying, which is really wonderful. It's uh, one, two, three, 
It's, it's seven words, and this really summarizes the food part of this discussion, and that is eat food not too much, sorry, eat food, mainly plants, not too much. Right. Again, saying you don't have mainly, to be, not fully, you don't not have 100%. to be a vegetarian. Right, right, right. You can be a flexitarian where you throw a little bit of fish in there. <laughs> but I think you, you need to realize that we, in the States anyways, eat far too much red meat. Oh, oh, oh the red meat. And far too much sugar. Yeah. And far too much processed junk. Yes. No because it's it. easy and, you know, it's uh, it's inexpensive a lot of the time and we and, and we do it. But I will say there's a tremendous movement both within the medical field but also amongst community to really try and focus on more on healthy foods. And it's 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 nice to see whether it's hospitals it's great. or whether it's um, even at meetings that people have that they really are trying to substitute some of those horrible donuts and bagels with foods that are more natural and cause less sugar increases and less inflammation. Well, you know, back in the day, 20, 30, 40 years ago, I'll go, it was all about country clubs and golf and tennis, or maybe just really more so golf than anything. And now all these hotels and clubs and all these places and, and uh, gated communities and these, all these places are realizing, oh, that was then, when people were not nearly as health conscious as they are today. Fast forward today, if you don't have a health club, a sauna, a spa, all these different things, you're you're like a dinosaur. You, the you, golf courses have kind of become more extinct. People don't care as much. You're so right. I, I saw uh, last night the uh, movie with uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg called On the Basis of Sex. Mm. And it was phenomenal. One of the quotes was, um, you have to, you have to go, you have to move with the climate. Yes. So what was right 100 years ago or 50 years ago ain't so right. And it shows how she pioneered almost single-handedly uh, challenged some of the old rulings in place in our country that certainly brought uh, gender dis uh, 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 differentiation and gender discrimination uh, into the, uh, certainly to the Supreme Court. And wow. So yeah. it's the same thing with health and wellness. Got to I mean, always innovate. Science, change. science is changing. So and what changed. we thought was right 50 years ago is totally wrong today. That's wild. And you need to adapt with that. And, 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 and likewise, you know, yeah, we, we, we thought that cholesterol was the villain in the 70s. Mm -hmm. And guess what? We ate as much carbs as we wanted, as much sugar as we wanted. Exactly. And look what happened to us. We yeah. got fatter. We got sicker. And for now, for now, anyways, they're saying that our kids, um, for the first time, may not live as longer lifespan as their parents did. So it's showing you that unless we make some changes, now part of it, of course, is also because of the opioid crisis that's going on. So that that you know causing a hundred deaths a day across terrible, the country. Terrible. But we can certainly get into that another time or later on if we have time. But I want to get through my five F's. Yeah. So you're at food. So that's food, and okay. then the other, the, the fourth F is financial health. Making sure that your financial health is in order. Because as they say, health is wealth and wealth is health. If you have your health, but you don't have your wealth, well, you're going to live a long time, but you're not going to have some money to support your needs as you get older. And likewise, if you have your wealth, but you don't have your health, well, you know, that's not fun either because you can have all the money in the world. But if you don't have the, the health and the, and the lifestyle that you're able to live with, then obviously you're not going to benefit from it. So that. when you have a patient that's looking at you across the table saying, doctor, thank you, 
you uh, thank you for taking me to the uh, my fan, financial advisor now, and, and he, I know you're a highly esteemed uh, medical practitioner, internal medicine. But uh, how do you give them? What kind of advice do you give them on that? So one thing I've learned as a doctor is not to give financial advice to anyone. So doctors are notoriously <laughs> terrible with financial health, and I'm no exception to that rule. But what I do as part of my um, part of my question is I will often say to a patient. You know, um, do you have a financial advisor? Have you met with them in the last year? Because some people say, yeah, sure, I've got a, do a financial advisor. And, you know, then you ask, when did you last meet with them? Oh, about three years yeah, ago. He doesn't even know the guy's name. You yeah, got it. Yeah. So, and it's the same thing. And, with, and with I'm medicine. sure there's like, but I'm also sure there's standard things for people. Hey, are you putting money away? Are you, are you being responsible? Those kind of things. I mean, you're right, but I also don't want to overstep my margin and sure. tell people, give them financial advice for the, for the reason that. That it's I'm just not qualified enough, but I'm at least I'm qualified to bring it up and say, hey, make sure that you are. And you're saying this could have an effect on you from a health perspective. Hundred percent, because you, you know you you just want to make sure you know not having money is is a huge cause of stress, which we're going to get to on the S side a little later on. Huge cause of stress, especially if you have big bills to pay or something comes up in your life. Listen, I, we've all been there. I mean. The, that to me is a huge stress when they when the finan when the finances get tight or something needs to be paid or a bill. That's not a good feeling. And then all you do is it, it just wears away at you. There was a quote that I recently read, and I forget who said it, but they said that the only difference between the rich and the poor is that a poor person lies awake at night doing the math. In other words, you know, <laughs> it's, it's so true. yep. So, and I forget it's who said so it. So true. I'm sorry for for not giving the. Oh, reference, that's a great quote. But you can Google that one. Yeah. And then the fifth F. Um, you know, I've sort of expanded the F, so it started off at three. But the fifth F, the fifth F is fun. You've got to have a little bit of fun in your life. Um, and, nice. and kind of coming back to what you and I spoke earlier on, that fun has to be um, sort of fun that is not crazy fun, and it's got to be fun that you're able to make sure that it's not going to lead to anything, any troubles down the road, whether it's, you know... But by fun, I mainly mean... And again, another quote, and that is, take your work seriously, but take yourself less seriously. I love that. And unfortunately, yeah. we are living in political times now where people are very uptight. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, 100% of Americans think that the other 50% are crazy. That's 100% that's correct. <laughs> so people are very uptight. And, you know, the key is to figure out how do we do the best that we can at work and with our families but at the same time, not taking ourselves too seriously because you have to loosen up a lot. I agree with you. So that's, that's very important. That's the most recent F that I've added to my list. And, you know, maybe I'd like to maybe develop more Fs, but then we wouldn't have the five and the five as there are in the Ten Commandments. So uh, I think I'm going to keep it the it's five a good Fs. number. It's a good number. So to recap, you've got your fingers, you've got feet, food, which to me, food is number one. Uh, then you've got uh, uh, finances and ultimately fun. Absolutely. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. So those are the five F's. And again, if you can do those five F's, you're off to a good start. Okay. Now, moving to the other side of the uh, of the uh, tablets, we've got the five S's. And again, S for, for Saturday or Sunday. And the first S is for sleep. And mm. something that we as a society are definitely lacking. And as we get older, that's, those sleep becomes less and less. So when we're babies, we all know that we sleep for many, many hours. And then as we get older, as we become adolescents, so we sleep less. And then certainly as we get into our older age, 
the need for as much sleep decreases. But on average, you, you should be trying to get somewhere between seven to eight hours of sleep a night. Okay, is it, what if you can get nine? So there's, I think there are some data to show that if you go more than nine, that can start having some negative effects as well. Now, that doesn't mean if you sleep one or two nights here and there for nine hours or more, that that's bad. Right. But it means that if you sleep again for more than nine hours every single day of your life, there might be something else going on that needs to be addressed. Right. So, for example, one of the first symptoms to occur when someone's depressed is they can either sleep very little or, quite the opposite, they can sleep way too much. Sure. So... I'm not saying, you know, to get checked out if you have one or two nights that are more than the nine hours, but certainly if it's a continued trend and you're having difficulty getting out of bed, that needs to be evaluated. What about people that are only sleeping four or five hours a night? What is that doing to their health? You know, it's interesting because I ask patients routinely how many hours a night do they sleep? And I'm amazed how many people get four and a half, five hours of sleep. There's and, a lot? And they're absolutely fine with it. Wow. I wouldn't say there's a lot, but a lot of these executives who are traveling, um, a lot of people who are working till one o'clock in the morning, waking up at six o'clock. I mean, they they really are shortchanging themselves. And sleep, believe it or not, is actually a very active part of our lifestyle. Um, our brains are integrating and sort of sorting out all the all the um, new uh, impulses and all the new things that we've learned for that day. Sort of putting it as kind of like a computer, putting it into different folders. And today, you're getting thrown so much. stuff crap left and right every time with the technologies things you're just getting thrown in the kitchen sink every single day it's like a new sink coming at you you're so right yeah. and, uh, and, th and that sort of leads me to one of the other S's later on which will be stress but in terms of just sleep you know you need to give sleep respect and you need to realize that sleep is an absolute essential part now there's more and more studies showing that decreased sleep is actually also associated with dementia, specifically Alzheimer's dementia. Sure, sure. And, um, I, I don't feel right if I get less than seven hours, to be honest with you. I mean, That's me, why it's shocking to me when people say, when people say I can go four or five hours every night, to me, I feel the same way you do. <laughs> that, that can't be good in the long run. I, I don't know. It, it's not good. And, and I will tell you that in people that can't get regular sleep, it's something that needs to be addressed because nowadays, and I'm not even talking about medications, but there's something called uh, cognitive sleep therapy where you actually go to a trained uh, either psychologist who can help you with issues pertaining to your sleep hygiene, whether it's loud noise or the room's not dark or the temperature's too hot mm -hmm. or there's stress. And what I love now is I'm, I'm prescribing a lot of sleep apps. Really? So um, even though you're not supposed to be looking at your iPhone or your iPad within an hour of going to sleep, and that's something that most people <laughs> don't realize, I still do recommend the sleep apps, either Headspace or Calm, because they really do provide that sort of relaxation. Most people that are not sleeping well is because they're overthinking things, what I call monkeys on the mind, yeah. and they are just stressing themselves out. I, I think people that are in those, in those modes, there may be some of them high performing executives i bet you there's a significant number of them that are just social media addicts you're right and i bet you there's i just got off of all social media uh in the past month got off of facebook and i got off of instagram like this past week just a few days ago how does it feel i, I feel like a new person i'm not kidding and it just started and i realized how scary it is that we're programmed to pick up our phone and open an instagram app or open the facebook app because I don't even have the apps now on my phone. I, I still have the podcast page to promote the podcast. But I got rid of my personal stuff. 
I'm not, and I don't follow anybody, so I'm not forced to look at it. I'm not tempted to see what's going on. I've slept better in the past three nights. I'm telling you that and I've it, slept it, in the past three weeks. And it's no coincidence. It's no it's, coincidence at all because it, feels it, great. it takes away, first of all, the blue light that emits from these um, uh, uh, products is, is affects our sleep and f- uh, affects our melatonin that's yes. secreted by our pineal glands. Is melatonin that, okay to take every night? I mean, I... You know, my understanding of melatonin is it's a natural product. Some people have said that, um, me included, when I've used it a few times, it works. It does. I, I've got a bottle of CVS, generic brand. It, <laughs> it, it works. It's and, unbelievable. You know, I normally start patients off at 3 milligrams or go up to 5 milligrams. If that doesn't work, even up to 10 milligrams. Very few side effects. One or two people have complained of headaches. Mm-hmm. Um, but I use it. I'd far rather use melatonin and, and other non prescription medications and some of the meds out like there the sleeping which, pill or like the uh, yeah which are very habit forming and difficult to come off once you're on them okay interesting so that's the sleep thing and the bottom line is we're not getting enough of it yes and uh we need to give sleep more respect in our lives yeah but again i i bet you there's a whole epidemic forming with your patients especially your younger patients the 20 to 30 to 40 year olds that are completely addicted to the social media that is having a tremendous effect on people's sleep patterns it has to. It absolutely has to be. I mean, between that and binge watching Netflix and and, and all the other uh, TV uh, shows out right? there, yeah, it's, it's like just... why sleep? Well, the problem is the next day after you haven't slept, um, we all know what happens the day after we haven't had good sleep. It's kind of like good sex. Is that one of your S's? I would, I would, I would, <laughs> actually, I would imagine we're getting is. there. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> so moving you right, can't, you can't perform one of the S's without the other. As well, well. So actually, you... believe it or not, that good sex is actually a very good uh, uh, prescription for good sleep. Okay. So they kind of play one in hand in hand. You yeah. got it. Yeah. So it makes sense. It does make sense, and you know, uh, uh, without getting into the uh, too much detail, but uh, that's something that sometimes when you when you inquire about in in relationships it's completely missing mm-hmm. and as people have been married for a certain number of years um they 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 less focus on that piece and that's okay but realizing that maybe that's a maybe that's sort of a symptom of what else is going on in the marriage sure and but that's of, such a critical piece that's absolutely. such a critical piece when i hear that from people that have been in these marriages and they're completely celibate you know, there's, yeah there's there's no sexual contact for I'm not even saying you know okay it happens it goes you can go weeks times and stuff like that but you hear these people months or years even and and you must hear it all the time I do hear it all the time I mean most of the time it's the males complaining yeah um and that's sort of I understand that but I I will tell you that I try tell my patients no matter how long you've been married up until a certain age you should be having sex at least once a week yeah, I think that's a good number. And it's good for your for your emotional health. It's good for your relationship. One hundred. And um, you know, we know that that um, that it's one of the first symptoms to disappear in any relationship that's not going well is that physical physical piece. And sex doesn't have to ne- necessarily be sexual intercourse, but it's got to be some form of 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 interaction. Intimacy. Is, got, exactly. Gotcha. Okay. The next S, which is the second S, is stress. Okay. And this is probably the World Health Organization defines stress as the modern epidemic. And for some of the reasons that you said earlier on, whether it's social media um, or job stress or family stress and 
you know, it sort of comes at you from north, south, west, and east. They, they just come at you from all directions. So sure. we are all under stress. Mm-hmm. Financial, back to the F on the other side. You're so right. And the question then becomes is not how do you get rid of the stress, but how do you manage the stress? Because the stress is always going to be there. Ah, interesting. So rather than saying, oh my gosh, I need to eliminate all the stress from my life. And if you can, that's wonderful. Don't yeah, get God me wrong. Yeah, God bless you. Give me a call if you can. <laughs> I'd like some tips. Um, but... The question then becomes is how do you deal with the stress so that ultimately the stress doesn't cause distress? And we all know that when someone's stressed out, they're not going to come to you and say, oh, doc, I'm stressed. They'll come to you with chest pain. They'll come to you with migraines. They'll come to you with abdominal pain. And then you've got to dig deeper and say, okay, what else is going on in your life? And many, many times you will identify that that person is either under some social stress at home financial stress, work stress, something or, else. Or everything. Or everything, right? you're right. And they just don't, they're mismanaging it. They, they, they don't have the tools to be able to manage the stress. They've never been taught. So one of the things that we try to do at university hospitals in our Connor Integrative Health Program is to really focus on stress management so that ultimately it's not a matter of eliminating the stress, which if you can do, fine, but you know, you can't always eliminate your, your bad boss at work. You can't always eliminate the bad employee at work. Sure. So then the question becomes, well, what can you do? And we've already hit on some of them today. Um, so you mentioned yoga earlier on. To me, yoga is an absolute must for stress reduction. Yes. It's, it, 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 it basically, I did, it, it um, looks at, it focuses on exercise. It focuses on deep breathing. It focuses on introspection. It looks at all the components that we re- that that we need to do um, to try and reduce the the stress hormones in our body. Yes, yeah, it's a it's a full mind, body, soul kind of workout. You're so experience. right. It's yeah. a total body experience. Yes. Um, so there's many things, and again, you know what I might like to reduce my stress. You may not like. So for me, um, you know, I may want to go running, and you may say, "Well, I'd rather do yoga," or somebody else may say. I'd rather go do meditation. Whatever that stress-reducing tool is, you've got to practice. Are there any other tools outside of fitness type? I mean, there are a lot of tools. So, for example, you know, you can look at anything from from uh, deep breathing, and I try and encourage this as much as I can to my patients, and I do it myself pretty much every day. Not just when you're going into a stressful situation, but I try, as I'm about to go into work, do some nice deep breathing, and I'll give you a quick... Uh, sample of what I do and then if I know I've got a kind of couple of tough patients coming in I'll take a couple of more deep breaths before going into the door <laughs> so if I know that um, there's someone who's got a lot of issues and themselves is under a lot of stress and it may be a stressful meeting for me I'll take some deep breaths and then as much as as excited as I am to go from work to home certainly when the kids were younger I would take some deep breaths yeah, as well then yeah. now that they're now that they're old and two of them are out the house it's a lot easier I understand as much as I, I love them that, of course well, and I know one of them she's she's fantastic Danielle thank you. she's well, Danielle awesome. loves your family she's and, great uh, with the kids she's fantastic thank you yeah. so I um, so I, I tell people that whatever your stress buster is I call it a, a whatever that that ability of you to to do uh, lower that stress levels in your body that's what you've got to practice to do so common ones are deep breathing and just so give an example the one that I use is called the four square where you take a deep breath to four seconds one two three four you hold it for another four seconds you then breathe out for four seconds 
and then you hold it for another four seconds. So in through your nose. Wow. Okay. Hold it for four, and then you breathe out through your mouth, counting to four, and then you hold it for another. And then four you seconds. hold it. So when your your stomach is all the way, it's it's basically. You right. want it, you want your stomach to expand out like a like a balloon that's blown up. Sure. And um, too often people don't do what's called deep abdominal or diaphragmatic breathing. When they breathe, their chest goes up instead of the abdomen. You want to make sure that when you put your hands on your tummy and on your belly, your abdomen is actually going As up. you're breathing in. As you're breathing in. You, you want, want to feel, feel your, your stomach, stomach expanding. Blowing up. Yes. And that's, and that's a sign of a good deep breath. Beautiful. Too many of us breathe shallowly and that's not a, when you, when you breathe shallow, you do not get the benefits of the deep breath. What about breathing. stretching? Stretching is an excellent overall activity, whether it's for stress reduction or just for general uh, uh, posture and for balance mm. and for muscle strengthening, etc. So it definitely goes in there as well. Good. Now, but again, it, it could be anything. So I've taken, um, I've tried to write a little bit of poetry to you know, at times when I'm a little stressed out. People do journaling where they write down every day what they're thankful for, which is a wonderful way of either starting the day or ending the day. Rather than saying, what went wrong with my day today? Write down three things that actually really worked for you that day. Sure. So whether it's attending a wonderful podcast like this over <laughs> here, which I know we're running way over time. Oh, no, this is great. There's um, no time limit. So but, um, but whatever it is that you're grateful for that happened on that day, rather than taking the negative approach of, oh, my, you know, this is what went wrong with me for this, you know, on this day. And what about just good old-fashioned talk therapy? So it's interesting you should say that because... Talk therapy can be done two ways. It can be done either with friends and family or it can be done, you know, through a professional. What's happened with social media is that it's made us completely asocial. So people, rather than meeting face-to-face, -face, are now meeting on Facebook. And it's taken out that whole personal connection that even 10 years ago, and certainly during our parents' generation, there was no, 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 no... Um, you know, no kind of technology like this around. And what's going on now, and you kind of found out yourself, is you've shut down your your uh, social media, and it's sort of released a whole, uh, it's released sort of the, I don't want to say the tension, but it's made you far more focused on everyday things. Exactly, exactly. And you've already told me how much your sleep has improved since doing that. But generally speaking, social media, and don't get me wrong, I think it's wonderful with technology, but I think it's really taken out the way that how people should be communicating with each other, kind of what you alluded to, just face-to-face. -face. And, and people are uncomfortable just having sharing their emotions and feelings, you feel like, because of that? I think people hide behind the screens and they... They're will, so used to that. And they, they paint a, a, a picture of, of euphoria and excitement on Facebook. Um, I once saw... And then a bump, they come in and they're broken, but when they come into you, they're completely broken. Yeah, I once saw a Facebook uh, a sticker on uh, on the back of a car that said, "I wish was my life was as good as it is on Facebook." Right. You know, you 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 want to make sure that you don't overlook the, the the personal connection. And to me, that can be with your family, it can be with friends. But if it, if you're going to be isolated and isolation, and we'll come to that later on, but isolation is one of the biggest causes of of illness. And of, of chronic diseases as well, because isolation can cause depression and can cause many other. It, it almost starts deteriorating you as if you have the dementia in a way, it's, right? You're I mean, so right. 
Because it's making you non-functional. It's making you non-functional in the sense that you're not able to express yourself. You're not able. There's there's something to be said about having a cup of Joe at Starbucks with a friend talking Absolutely. and interacting. Human interaction. As opposed yes. to sending a post on on either Twitter or or any other social media and site. And, and and then what it leads to, you're sitting around all day, so you're not doing anything physical because you're hiding. You're you're playing around on your phone or on your computer, and that leads to you being lazy and when you're lazy and bored with it you're, you're eating crap you're eating the potato i mean it, they all they all enter it's it's amazing how they all kind of interlink together you're so right and that actually leads to the third s which is socialization uh-huh. and socialization and, and the opposite of socialization namely isolation as i mentioned earlier has been found in studies to be isolation has been found to obviously have negative effects as opposed to socialization which can be anything from uh, going to synagogue or church or whatever religious uh, background one has, attending services, uh, going to meetings. I know you just had a wonderful uh, uh, event at Lander, Lander Haven, ha- yes, Lander Haven poker, the other yeah. night. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't matter what the event is, but connecting with people and having that socialization and having that common purpose is really beneficial. Absolutely. You feel so much better. You feel great after work to go meet somebody for a bite to eat, maybe a drink, and just catch up on life. And you know what? You can do your talk therapy there. You can kind of knock all these things I mean, out. You're, you're <laughs> so, you, can, you can talk your five S's and five right? S's all in one <laughs> evening. <laughs> so talking about S's, the next S, which you correctly said earlier on, is sex. And it doesn't have to necessarily mean, as I said, sexual intercourse, but it's got to be some sort of connecting and some sort of intimacy with someone in your life because again it, it's part of that whole uh, socialization slash feeling good about yourself and, and, and feeling feeling A that I want to give love to somebody else but also that I'm getting love back from somebody else. Oh absolutely. We all know that giving is a lot is, is, is more uh, ben, it's more we feel happier when we give something to someone Rather than when we receive something from someone, although sometimes, but, 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 but in this particular instance, <laughs> it's, you're the giver and the receiver. Yeah, and, and well, when you when you especially when you know that, you know, your girlfriend or boyfriend or your husband or wife or whatever relationship, they're 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 interested and excited and, to be and, with you, and they want to please you. That's they what I'm saying. You. Like that, that is a that's a tremendously rewarding feeling. It and really it's is. It's a mental. I mean, it, it's a mental. And I feel as a as a society, and, and again, I can't compare us to. Other, other societies, you know, in other parts of the world. But I feel in the United States as a society, we don't place enough emphasis on, on the bonding and the interacting. And I feel that some relationships just let that fizzle out. And unfortunately, what happens after that is that the actual relationship fizzles out as well. Do you find that a lot of people, though, that ultimately are not, are not in relationships, they're single and they're having sex, they're, they're sexually active, um, do they? Do you see anything where that's they kind of still are not getting that true happiness because it's like an empty event? You know what I mean? Yeah, it's not that emotional connection. You're so right. I mean, yeah, you're getting you know you're getting your kicks and you're getting some short term fun and some short term uh, dopamine, but yeah. it's it's not last. It's not long lasting because that's right. that's you're lacking that 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 piece that comes after it, which is that that emotional piece. It's that connection. It's back to that again. Hundred yes. percent. Yeah. Um, so I, I read recently that males, if you can have sex once a week, you can increase your lifespan by three years. So that's a good wow. prescription. I'm increasing my lifespan <laughs> by about 30, 30 years now. Uh, 
And then the other thing is for females, even though studies have not shown that their lifespan is increased, but it has shown that the actual quality of life is enhanced. So sure. two good reasons for, for both males and females. No doubt about it. And then I think we're on our fifth S, and that comes down to spirituality. Spirituality, okay. And I'm not saying that every, we all have our different ways of, of believing either in God or believing in a higher power. And there's no doubt that believing in that higher power and believing that it doesn't just stop here with us on planet Earth, there's, there's, there's something about that that basically fosters, whether it's um, fostering uh, uh, positive energy in the sense that there's a higher power controlling what goes on in our lives. There's a concept in, 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 in Hebrew and in Judaism called emunah, E-M-U-N-A-H. And emunah basically means that we are being controlled by a higher power and that whatever happens in our lives is being controlled by God. Now... You know, it's all very well to say that when things are going well. Mm -hmm. But when things are not going well, it's, you know, people say, well, I, I can't believe that God would want this to happen. Right. And then what I tell my, myself sometimes and also patients is you may not see it in the short term, but in the long term, you will be able to say, aha, this is why such and such event happened one year ago, three years ago, even 10 years ago. But at the time, you, you, you can't figure out why this is happening. And then... If you do go to like a synagogue or a church or a mosque, that also has been associated with enhanced longevity. Really? So the rabbi always jokes at me at Solon Chabad that he's going to have very, very long longevity, even though he doesn't exercise and doesn't do all the <laughs> physical activity piece and the nutritional piece. The fact that he goes to synagogue every Sunday. That's, that's all that counts. That's right? all that counts. Right, and there's right, something right. to be said about prayer, and but more yeah. than just prayer is that belief. So it may not only be belief in God, but it may be belief in something else of a higher power that's sort of kind of controlling what goes on on planet Earth. And then again, just identifying with nature and looking at the chaos and looking at the nature and saying, how did this just happen? Did this just happen out I of I think chaos? about that all the time. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, that's again a topic for another night, but yeah. it's so true. It's like there's got to be something, whatever you believe, but there's something out there that enabled this to be as perfect as and it is. And then again, those all intertwine too because it, it goes back to the mental the mental clarity, mental health. I mean, if you have that spiritual spirituality in your life, it kind of trickles into those other things. It gives you the calmness, the peace that you might need. You're so right. Yeah. And so that's why something called Emuna. Stress Emuna, management. There's, there's a book called The Garden of Emuna, which talks very much about what you just said is that it takes away the worries. Like, yeah, I'm thinking, why did this happen? What did I right. do wrong? Uh, why did this happen why, to why, me? Why, 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 why? Exactly. Right. And it says, hey, take a step back. There's a, it's happening on a higher level than you. You can't focus on everything. You know, there's a saying in Yiddish, but it translated in English. It says, man plans and God laughs. In yeah. other words, we can plan as much as we want, but at the end of the day, we're sort of being kind of controlled. And I truly believe this. And I think that's given me a lot of peace of mind as I've matured and grown to understand this concept and allowed me to sort of let go of some other issues that so you must have really enjoyed that conversation I had with Rabbi Zushi I loved it because that was a spot exactly what we talked about I absolutely time. loved it I remember some of the questions that you asked him which were pretty tough questions that I and I thought okay. to myself wow Nathan's really uh really done some homework over here but the rabbi's answer to you was kind of what you know what he's told me in the past is that we don't know sometimes why things happen, why bad things happen to good people. Yeah, We don't know. 
No, we don't. And I don't think there's an answer sometimes. Well, like you said, if you know, is it going to make you feel better? That's right. That's That was... So, these are what I call my <laughs> Ten Commandments of Wellness. And it's interesting because in the in synagogue last week uh, for Parsha Yitro, we just spoke about the giving of the Ten Commandments by God to the Israelites. So, Perfect. it's very... Very uh, the, uh, appropriate times right now. that we've gone from the Ten Commandments <laughs> at Mount Sinai right. to the Ten Commandments of Dr. That's B. That's absolutely beautiful. So with those Ten Commandments of Dr. B, the, the five F's and five S's, is there a, a, an audio? Do you have a program online? People can go see this. What, what can we do? Oh, this this is it. You know, starting in March, I'm going to be having my own uh, TV show in the in the Cleveland area. Oh, really? Which will also be on OTT, which I found out stands for Over the Top. Which is technology that a lot of uh, uh, a lot of TV companies are now using to actually put everything onto the computer now, because as you know, people are not watching so much TV as they are dialing into the iPhone or the iPad. So, right. So, Doctor B, Wow with Doctor B, will be starting in March of this year. Awesome. And we'll be doing kind of what you and I have done today, just basically interviewing different professionals in different parts of the of the wellness as. as uh, spectrum and hopefully educating our patients so that we all can live a longer and stronger life. That is absolutely beautiful. Uh, this is awesome. I'm so happy you came tonight. I'm so happy you came and shared. This is one of the most riveting episodes I've had. A uh, plethora of information. I'm going to have to listen to this like two or three times to really take it in. Get your notebook, notepads out and write down all the all the different because you've provided a lot of value tonight. So thank you. For and I've, You're welcome. And I've really enjoyed it. I can't believe the time has flown by so quickly. But again, it is a matter of, it's not about your DNA. It is a matter of you taking responsibility. 70% of your well-being is, is, is lifestyle. 30% is genetics. So I'm not saying it doesn't count. But you have the ability to tweak your genetics and to make sure that even though you may have been dealt a bad hand when it comes to your genetic hand, you can tweak those um, that DNA so that ultimately you can live that long and strong life that we all desire because there's no guarantees for anything as we all know but at least you want to try to raise those odds so that again you're living a long health lifespan but also a long health span from the horse's mouth himself you guys heard it here first uh words of wellness with dr Bushinsky, and what he's saying is basically simple you're in the driver's seat make the most of it thank you thanks for coming thank you nathan